His first teacher was mommy. And right there, her partner, grandma. I don't know what he called her. They were the first ones to mold this vessel. And they did quite a job. Because by the time in Acts 16, Paul comes on the scene, and you know, you know the background. Acts 16 follows Acts 15. That's quite logical. But, but you know the story in Acts 15. That, that, that's when Paul and Barnabas have their contention. Over whom? Over what? John Mark. Because, because Mark, who's, who's, is it the nephew? Is it the cousin? Anyway, there's a family relationship with Barnabas. And he was chosen to go on the first journey, you know, and, and, and uh, their, their ministry journey. But something negative happened. We don't have details. And Mark, you could say, chickened out or something happened. And he went, went back. And so then on this next journey, Paul, want, I mean, sorry, Barnabas wants to take Mark. Paul says, no. And a strong contention. Can you imagine? strong contention among the co-workers. How could such a thing ever be? And But over this young brother, and then Barnabas insists and takes Mark with him. And then we don't hear about them. Until, until, until chapter 4, the next chapter, Paul's, you know, this is significant, 2 Timothy, because that's Paul's final writing. Even though it's not the last book chronologically of Paul, right? The Hebrews. But this is the, these are the last few words that we ever hear from Paul. And in chapter 4, he says, Timothy, come to me quickly and bring Mark with you because he's useful to me for the ministry. Mark got recovered. Saints, there are a lot of Marks out there. We need more Timothys. But actually, we need Marks also. At the end, it's Timothy and Mark. And it doesn't make any difference how they got there. As long as that at the end they're together. But Mark got recovered. Hallelujah! We don't want anybody to make detours. But if they do, eh, it's okay. That's not a Timothy. He's a Mark. And then we just change his name and bring him back. And at the end, they are the ones that were there. Even some co-workers were not there. Demas. Demas left. But Mark was there. And where's Barnabas? But Mark was there. And you know, Mark, I'm getting sidetracked here. You know, Mark, his story, do you know the first time we meet him? That's in, it's before Timothy, in Acts 12. You know that story? Peter's in prison, and he's resting and he's sleeping. He's quite comfortable in prison. And the angel comes 
slaps him. And he, he thinks he's in a trance. He wakes, wakes up. And then the chains fall off and he comes out. And then he's walking and I guess they're all, the guards are asleep. And then he comes out and then it's, it's just like what you see, what you, what you would see in a television show or a movie or something. He's walking out and the gate opens by itself. You know, they didn't have the, you know, and what is it? Motion, motion sensor. No. And so he's walking and you wouldn't put that in a prison anyway, right? So anyway, and then the thing opens and he comes out and then when he comes out, he's like, he, oh, I'm, this is for real. He thought he was in a trance. And then, and then he realizes what, what they, Tuesday or Wednesday? Do you pray? Wednesday. He must have thought, it's, wait, what's today? Wednesday night. Prayer meeting. And he knew where the schedule was. And where was this meeting scheduled? John Mark's mom's house. Mary. So, so he goes right to Mary's house. He goes away. Now, let me ask you. They're having a prayer meeting. What do you think they were praying for? Don't, I have no doubt that one of the prayer items that night <laughs> was the release of Peter from prison. If it wasn't the first burden, I believe it was even the first three. That they were praying, Lord, release Brother Peter. Okay, so he comes to the door. I don't know, knocks, bell, whatever. And who answers? Oh, you got to know the story. It's in your Bible. Rhoda. Little Rhoda. Some of you need to read this story to your, to your children tonight. Yeah. So Rhoda answers the door. She's this uh, little servant girl. Rhoda answers the door. So who's there? Peter. She goes, Peter! And then she runs. Of course, it doesn't say that. You understand that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But P you can imagine. Peter. She runs in says, it's Peter. And they said, it can't be Peter. They were just praying. And Peter... We're not used to the Lord answering our prayers that way. Have you ever, have you never prayed a prayer that was, that, that you didn't believe would be answered? We pray this way. And so, so she, so the answer, and they no, and then she says, it must be his angel. Then we learned something there. Oh, but that's a different message. Don't get into that. Yeah. And so, and, so, and then, and then, but Peter, you know, Peter's still at the door. Uh, and so then they come, and then they, it's Peter! And then the, yeah, amen. So, okay. And then the Bible says, this is the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Now why, in the context of this story, did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke? To add this little phrase, Mary, in the house of Mary. We don't even really need to know it's Mary's house. Much less do we need to know that this Mary, who's hosting the prayer meeting, has a son named John Mark. But the Spirit does not waste words. And the Spirit inspired Peter, uh, no, Luke, to add this little phrase. For this revelation of the second generation. Mark, just as Timothy, they were the first generation 
of the church, the first generation, second generation, if you understand me. In the first century of the church life, they were the first second generation. Along with the four daughters of Philip, whom we know nothing about, he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. There were young adults in the churches there. Philemon's son, Archippus. They also. There are some mentioned in the scriptures. Why does the Holy Spirit inspire Luke? You know, Luke has his gospel and Acts. Which gospel is Luke? It's the gospel of the man Savior. The gospel showing or emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. And only Luke gives us these kind of details of second generation. I think it's interesting. Because eventually this Luke worked with Timothy and Mark. And so in Acts 16, after we're introduced to Timothy, that which is just in the first three verses, <coughs> excuse me, we have this story, which many of us, I think, are familiar with. Paul sets out to preach the gospel, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, forbids him. Do you remember this story? And he wants to go to the north. He's forbidden by the Holy Spirit. He wants to go to the south. It says, the Spirit of Jesus forbid him, did not allow him. And so, imagine, you, the door is open in the gospel, but the Spirit says no. And it's in this context that the triune God decided he would reveal this truth of the Spirit of Jesus. Only here do we have this phrase, the Spirit of Jesus. Do you know that Timothy, Timothy, that was his first trip. This, is, this was his first lesson under Paul. So Timothy was there because they, he just took him. It was Timothy, Silas, and Paul. Then from there, oh, Paul gets the Macedonian call, that dream. Come, help us. So he realizes of the Lord, he's being led to Europe. So then they go to Philippi, first spot. In Philippi, where do they go? A place of prayer. Which, incidentally, Luke constantly emphasizes. Prayer. And Jesus as a man of prayer. So they go to the place of prayer and they find a woman, Lydia. And actually, not the jailer later in the chapter, Lydia's is the first household that gets saved. And so they use Lydia's home as a kind of the base. That's their home base. As the story continues, this is where Paul and Silas get imprisoned. And everyone knows this story, right? Where they're in the stocks 
and they're at midnight. What are they doing? They're, they're singing as they're praying. They're singing as they're praying. But you forget what happened to Timothy. Did you ever think about Timothy? Timothy, no doubt, is at Lydia's house. But he's not alone there because it's in this chapter that the, that the, the uh, discussion in Luke turns from they, they, they to we and us. And there's a note in Acts 16 on this, on this we, us, that Brother Lee points out. No doubt Luke joined this journey at this point because his writing changes in, right, in tense. So, no doubt Luke and Timothy were there. Oh, I tell you, if, if Luke had not been there, this young Timothy, what do you think? He was just brought here with Paul and Silas and then they got thrown into prison? I don't know these people. We just met them on the street. Now we're in their house, and praise the Lord, they got saved, but I don't really know them. But Luke was there as a shepherd to this young Timothy. And then, of course, they had the glorious experience. They get, you know, free the earthquake and free. The jailer comes. What should we do to be saved? And then, and then it says. And then it says, uh, you know, he takes them home, washes them up, and all that. They all, they all get saved. They all get saved. At the end of the chapter, it says they go back to tell the brothers. No doubt this was Timothy and Luke at the home of Lydia and her household. So this is the introduction to Timothy into the work. This is Timothy's introduction into the work. But who started this molding process? It was mommy and grandma. And they did a good job to produce such a one who could be useful to Paul. And then Sister Mary. Sister Mary was the mother of John Mark, who also was there at the end to strengthen Paul. When he, you know, Paul at the end says, only Luke is with me. But come, Timothy, and bring Mark. So these three, he wanted these three around, around him. Yeah. So saints, yes, next generation, but it's not all about the next generation. The next generation needs the shepherds. Needs the shepherds. So again, at the end, two generations standing there in the first century for the Lord's, for the Lord's interest at the time of the degradation of the church. When others turned away, two generations stand, standing there. We should go to the outline. We'll come to Galatians chapter 6 when we touch the second outline. <clears throat> Saints, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you ahead of time, and, and maybe you've already figured this out. My burden is not so much the covering of these outlines. There are points here that we're using. Um, these outlines you could readily read, and they are from this book, Raising Up the Next Generation. I hope that the fellowship will give you some kind of appetite. Go read. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, these, uh, this book, Raising Up the Next Generation in the Church Life, is a compilation. It's a compilation. It's not a new speaking by either Brother Lee or Brother Nee. 
but rather they spoke in different places and, and there are different messages. Okay. Now, even, even the outline, the outline, each outline point is a ministry excerpt. So nothing here is original written by us. Everything is an excerpt of the ministry and, and we, it was put together with a kind of flow of thought, right? A flow of thought. And in the book, after the outline, are all the excerpts that are the source material for each sentence. Uh, you would get many more riches there if you go there to, to, to read. Okay. Um, let's read again point one. Point Roman one. Now, we're, again, this is lesson one. I know you have two outlines in your hand. Lesson one, the importance of the children and young people's work for the future of the Lord's recovery. Let's read again point one. This is as far as we got last night. Okay, Roman 1. We cannot continue to work as we have in the past. Now, I would say <clears throat> that it's not entirely true. Well, we just totally disregarded, but we have to say, we have to admit. We didn't do that great a job. There are a lot, there's lots of room for improvement. And we didn't neglect totally, but we may have not realized the value of doing a solid work with the children and the young people. Brother Lee spoke these words. Um, both in the, well, in, in the 1960s. 1960s, he spoke these, these words. And he gave us a kind of history. When you read the excerpts, you can see this. That at the beginning, when, when they first came out of China, you know, because of the political situation, they went to Taiwan, and they started the gospel work. And I think we've all heard the stories, and maybe there are some saints who, who were there firsthand. And there are saints here who are the fruit of that work, certainly. Um, and, and just the explosion of increase, the explosion of increase, more than 20,000 in Taipei. And of course, if you're going to gain so many people, you're going to gain so many children. And at first, they, the brothers admitted, Brother Lee admitted, all they did was babysitting work. In, because their hall, their hall was like one big room. And they didn't have smaller rooms the way uh, later on in, in different occasions, especially after Brother Lee came to this country, he realized that actually the Americans pay much more attention to the children. That's his words. <laughs> his words than the, than the Chinese that's what, that's what he, I could show you where, where he said they said the Americans pay a lot so that when they have the meeting hall they have rooms for the children and he says they didn't do that 
they just sent them to homes to be babysat in groups. And then later they realized, oh, we have them for an hour and a half or two hours. We're losing the opportunity to cultivate their spiritual education. So after some time, they started to have some meetings with the children. So, But this came later, and there was already some loss. There was already some loss. But then, even they did that, even they did that. Let's read on. Sisters, could you please read A? Please read A. Brothers, read B, please. see that this point is in quotations and at the end there's a reference of a book do you see that the ultimate significance of the golden lampstands okay no one would ever imagine well i would never imagine that in a book on the golden lampstands you're going to find brother lee talking about children that's what i mean that you have to comb through the ministry to find okay why in this book did he say this? Okay. The ultimate significance of the golden lampstands. Maybe some of the saints here were in that conference. 1977. In Taipei. Okay. Roman 2, we cannot continue to work as we have in the past. Okay. He said somewhere about 1968. A was written 19, was spoken 1977. Okay, so nine years later, he went back to Taipei. Here, here, at this time, do you know how many children there were in the church in Taipei? There were approximately 4,000 children in all the meeting halls in Taipei. Now, remember, they went to Taipei, you know, 49, early 50s. In the early 50s was the explosion of the increase. They gained 20,000 people. Of the 20,000 or so, and eventually, you know, not everyone who you baptize or get saved is going to come into the church life solidly. But they had, they had about 8,000 saints. They had about 8,000 saints. And 4,000 children. So when you read this number, oh, we should labor until we have 10,000, you feel like, ha <laughs> Where? Where do you see this? Where can you see this? Well, just, okay. 
4,000 in 10 years. In 10 years. Well, look at it this way. Okay. Suppose in your church you have four children. Some small locality. Four children. Don't you think that in 10 years you can, each one of them can bring one friend to the children's meeting and bring four more? And don't you think through our gospel preaching we could just gain two more children? And in 10 years have 10? It's not that hard, actually. Actually, you, you may just give birth to them. <laughs> uh, you know. So, anyway, just add, multiply by 1,000, and you're going to get your 10,000 children. So his thought was, actually, he gave a strategy. So he didn't talk that much about increase by gospel. He said, on our name list, we have the names of 4,000 other children among those 20,000 who were baptized. Just go get them. Just go visit them. And, and he said, don't invite their parents. I could show you where it says it. Uh, somebody said in the announcements, you read some things like, Brother Lee, did you say this? Was that you last night? Did you really say that? Yeah. He really said, he said, don't invite their parents. He says, tell them, oh, Sunday morning. Oh, why don't you take a break? I'll take your children to the meeting. You go, you sleep, you whatever. I'll take your children. And, and have the children get the habit of coming to the children's meeting. Don't you think... After a month, after two months, that little girl will not say, Daddy, why don't you come to church with us? Don't you think? He cannot refuse. So, and he even said this. Okay, he said, sisters, he, he was talking to the sisters. He said, sisters, you should hire a taxi. You know, which, which is not, you know, Uber. Yeah. It's not like... The, we're talking about the, you know, yeah, just hire a taxi. And on Lord's Day morning, just go through the neighborhood and collect the children. The children, these, of the saints who used to come to the meeting. Just invite the ones who used to come. There are another 4,000 who used to come to the meeting. They don't come now because their parents don't come. It's not that they decided not to come. Just invite them. And then don't you think in 10 years, these 8,000 can gain 2,000? It's, it's not a big deal, actually, to get 10,000 by this time. Okay, so Brother Lee goes back and he's giving this message on the lampstands. But no doubt, he found out the situation. Do you know how many children there were in the children's meeting? This was... 68. Do you know how many children there were in 1977? 500. 500 total. How could that be? That's like a negative miracle. <laughs> it's really a miracle. Like, like, how could you? It's like impossible. But negatively, it happened. How could that be? And then he went back in 1980, 
you know, in the 80s, 84, 5, 6. And uh, so in 84 to 86, the number went down to 400. How could that be? Do you see the attack? But do you see the potential? Oh, the situation has changed considerably in Taipei now. <laughs> we visited there two years ago. Oh, the brothers have actually quite a flourishing children's work. Burdened, actually burdened for thousands. They are, they are burdened for thousands. They told us, we finally took Brother Lee's word. <laughs> they confessed to us. They confessed to us their lack. But do you see? We need to take this word. But that's even with giving classes and doing all the things, but the decrease. That means you still hold the classes for them and this and that, but there's a certain way that you do the class. Actually, it's not attracting. It's not attracting them. It's not keeping them. It's not equipping them. It's not inspiring them. So we have to change our, our way. We have to change our way. Let's, let's um, well, we could just read Roman 3 together. Amen. This section I'll just leave for you to read. I, I believe we, in essence, covered this, and we'll come back to this in the next session. Roman 4. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> this is one, again, this is a quotation. But in another place, Watchman Nee says, the future of the church hinges on the parents. Of course, the future hinges on the young people. But if that's the case, then the future really hinges on us. Because the church, 20 years from today, is downstairs or at home or in nursery. That's the church. And it's, it's how we respond today to what the Lord will be able to do uh, tomorrow. Uh, let's go to the... Um, you have a double-sided sheet, right? Like I do? Yeah. On the second side. Let's jump down to the next... It's the last point, that above the D, point four. Let's just read this point four. notice here it says, if we are preserved to give them an absolutely positive leading, not just they're preserved, we need to be preserved Amen. to guide them. But our guidance has to be positive. Our guidance has to be void of erroneous limitations. And, and we have to admit 
that it's possible that by even our good heart, our proper intention, we have driven some away. Now, saints, I would, I would say a strong word here. Please, let us, let us reject any condemnation from the enemy. This word, anything spoken here, comes from a heart for all the saints of all ages, realizing that we, and I say we, we as parents, have erred, we have made mistakes, we repent for those, but we are still full of hope. We're still full of hope. And even the ones that have turned away, we never lose our hope. We never lose our hope. Of course, we have to realize it is all the Lord's mercy. Whether our children will love the Lord or not. That's not in our hands. We have to do our part. Give our cooperation. But if the Lord doesn't send the rain, it doesn't matter how much you toil till the ground. Only the Lord can send the rain. But if the Lord sends the rain and we didn't till the ground, then we're, then we're liable. So we, we just, our job is just to till the ground. <clears throat> so may the Lord cover us, protect us, put a hedge around all of us. And please continue to be open to all, all the speaking. There's more coming. Even how to recover some of those. There's more coming later, later throughout the day. But, but I have witnessed, especially some dear, loving mothers, urging their children, urging them to go on in the Lord, to come to the meeting, to read the Bible. To, but as they're doing that, you're pushing them away. And you don't realize. You don't realize. So we, we have to we have to, if that's the case, we need to change our way. And I feel it should never be, it should never be that if they turn away from the Lord, they turn away from you. That doesn't have to be. But I've seen some cases where it was a package deal. Because mom and dad, and I'm sorry, I, from what, only from what I've witnessed, and I haven't spent that much time in Texas, so I'm not talking about you. <laughs> from what I've witnessed, mostly the moms. Would you come to the meeting? Would you come? When would you, why won't you come? Sometimes bribing. Come to the meeting. Just turning them off. So, they don't have that warm feeling of coming home because they know once I come home, that's all you're going to talk about. And sometimes you just have to love them for being them and accept them and assure them that your love is not conditional on their conference attendance. 
Your love is not conditional on their how well is their morning revival. You love them, and you always love them. And we know that in your heart, that's how you feel. There's no question, saints. There's no question. But you haven't communicated that, maybe, in, in, the, in a full way. And so, the thing is that we all have our, you could call it, language of love. We all have our language of love. So, Brother David, right? David, do you speak Spanish? Oh, un poquito. Okay, I can't use you for the example. <laughs> but suppose you spoke no Spanish. And, 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 and I would say, ven aquí, por, por favor. No entiendo. Uh, but, uh, oh, no, ven aquí, por favor. Sígueme, sígueme. Sígueme! <laughs> What did I tell him? Follow me. Sígueme, sígueme. Siéntate ahora, siéntate. Siéntate. No sillas. No sillas. Sit down, sit down. Like I said, no chair. Oh, sit down. Different language. You're saying, you're saying, I love you, and, I'll, the, and, and the best for you is the Lord. And I'm loving you by telling you, come to the meeting. And they hear, standard. Condition. I'm, I'm not as good as my brother. Forget my brother. I'm not as good as those other saints' kids that you like more than me. Do you know some of our children feel that way? Or could feel that way? It's not true. But that's their feeling, so that's their reality. So saints, we, maybe we just need to improve our communication, that's all. And, and really give them the assurance. Son, you're my son. I just love you. I'm glad. I'm glad that's. I'm glad that's not my son. I love you. That's not my son. Yeah, he goes to the meeting. Sits in the front row. You go to the meeting. Last row. I look up. You're gone. <laughs> that was my son. You know, you know. Some of you know my son. That's how. That's how he grew up. I won't tell you some of the. Some of the oh Lord. He pulled one thing on me. You know, in a training during the testing during the I won't tell you what it was I want I don't want to give ideas to the other to the high schoolers but he pulled something out and he, I knew he was just and I'm sitting in the meeting looking at the screen and I said I can't believe my son is doing this in the middle of a training meeting one day I wrote you know uh, Letter to my son. There's this other brother. This is a good friend. And he does this, this, this in the meetings. I never want you to think, I just never want you to think that I measured you by those things. You're my son. He's my own. I have a boy and two girls. 
He says, you're my son. I love you. No, always love you. That was in the days before email. I actually wrote him a letter. Because I just felt I needed to communicate. <clears throat> and growing up, you know, with maybe this is with stay-at-home moms. Sometimes the boys are closer to the moms as they're growing up, up to a certain age. I think he and I are pretty close now. Sometimes mom gets a little, hey, he didn't tell me that. It's my son. But sometimes they just need a little something. Not on the spiritual level at all. And then, by the Lord's mercy, and it's a story, it's a long story, I won't get into it. I just prayed and, and enjoyed the other brothers stepping in at certain times. When I, I could not reach him, and I knew I couldn't reach him, but brothers were there, always. Brothers without standards. No, don't take that in the wrong way, but not, you know what I mean? <laughs> they had standards. That didn't come out right. We've got <laughs> to edit that somehow. But do, you know what I mean. Brothers that, that he knew, they, they yeah, no, con, right, no conditions for love. They just loved him. They put him to serve with the young people. I said, brothers, don't do that. My son's not a good example. You know, for the serious, when you're serving the young people, they, and, but the young people just, whoosh, like a magnet. I said, oh no, he's not a good example. They said, no, no, no. They, oh, they got, I got vetoed. They said, we're doing it so that we could spend time with him. Amen. Gives us a chance to pray with him. He's willing to come and actually pray with us. I said, okay. If those young people get messed up, that's not my responsibility. <laughs> But, you, you know, was he in, no, no, you, you finished the training, right? Was he in the training under your TA ship? No. But um, the Lord gained his heart, and he loved serving young people. Served the Lord for eight years, full-time concentrating on young people. And the young people just, and now it's good. So, is just have positive faith. Positive faith. Yeah. Amen. One, one, uh, the second outline. Maybe we'll just jump to this. On the second page. Roman 5. Uh, I just want to touch this verse here. Roman 5, A and B. Let's read this together. We must realize that the Christian life is a life of sowing. Everything we do is some kind of sowing, either to the flesh or to the spirit. Everything we say to our children and do to them is a seed sown into them. In the church life, we are constantly sowing tiny seeds. To be careful in our sowing, and we'll 
develop this more in the next session because I, I, I do want to give you some time for responding. <clears throat> Saints, we have to realize that we're sowing seeds all the time. Amen. And then eventually we will reap what we sow. The verse says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. So we are saying a particular word, especially to the young parents. Yes. And those of us who are older, we need to take some grace. There'll be, there'll be balm a little bit later. But this is a word to the younger parents. Realize now that everything we do, every purchase we make, every meeting we miss, Every vacation we go on, where we choose to go, how long we choose to go, whom we choose to go with, all those things are sowing tiny seeds. All our conversations with the children in the back seat, on the way to and from the meeting, are sowing tiny seeds. When, when does it register? When we speak in our, and you know, we're a little sensitive. We're not, we're not, you know. We, oh, did the brother, yes, he did. When do they start to realize who it is you're talking about? And the children grow up, and you don't realize. Now they're five, now they're seven. They, Ten, they understand quite a bit. And they can read our feelings. They can read our facial expression. You're on the way home from the meeting. Oh, how was the meeting? Oh, we're having a conference next weekend. And your dear wife says, another conference? <laughs> Just that, with that tone. In front of your little girl. Do you know that's a tiny seed? In her thought, can't you imagine yeah. this? Mommy doesn't like conferences. Conferences are not good for our family. And she would never say that. She would never express that. But when she gets into junior high... And it's announced, we're having a conference at Lake So-and-So Camp. And, anyway, my mom doesn't like conferences. I don't have to go. Just a little seed. When did that get there? That drifted there maybe three years ago. And then today we wonder why our children don't have heart for different things. Or why their value system, how did it get formed that way? And we wouldn't connect it to this purchase, that purchase, this thing, that thing. So to, to take care of our sowing is to take care of our living. And we have to sow to the Spirit. And, and consciously at times, not sow to the flesh. Okay, we'll come, we'll come back to this, develop this more. How about a, a, a minute or so of prayer? Maybe with one or two around us, and you still have about 10 minutes to share.